Welcome back to an audience of one, a podcast for sinners looking up at the ivory tower, lost in their thoughts and their sadness for their past transgressions, for which they transgressed against themselves and against others. Those who are hoping for a light in the darkness, looking for a way back. A podcast produced for many, but intended to be an audience of one. In the event that you find this content relating to your life and beneficial, to the extent that you feel that others may benefit from it, then I encourage you to share it with others who might. So you're here because you've made countless mistakes. You've fallen from grace. You've gotten into your feelings so much that you've determined that you're too far gone and beyond repair. To the extent that you've become overwhelmed with a sense of despair that has caused you to feel like you're drowning in your own shortcomings. Despite all of this overwhelming feeling of disappointment and dread, you've convinced yourself, and rightfully so, that you need to pull yourself out of this situation. So you've made a conscious decision that you're going to change. Now you know the road ahead of you is gonna be extremely difficult because it's gonna be a lonely one. No one likes a loser and you've been failing in so many areas that you've forgotten what winning looks like. This has caused you to be alone in part because you haven't been successful and in part because you've been carrying yourself as if you're not successful. And during this process, you've realized that a large portion of your social circle has completely abandoned you. So you're all on your own. And in order to move forward, you have to commit to walking the path alone because by the very nature of your situation, people want to be around success and they want to be around successful people. They don't want to help create one. People want to be around for the money and asleep for the action. But you don't need these people, nor do you want them around. The only person you need is yourself. And so you're committed to walking this path alone. But in order to walk this path alone, you have to be comfortable not only being alone, but you have to be comfortable with you. You've carried a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, a lot of resentment towards yourself. And while this is probably one of the most difficult tasks that you're going to have to undertake, you have to learn to forgive yourself and move on. Now, this is a process. This isn't an event. This isn't some overnight thing. This is something that you're going to have to continue to try and reinforce over and over again as you walk this path especially because you're gonna to continue to make mistakes. And as you make mistakes, your mind is gonna to wanna to try and reinforce all of those negative thoughts that you had about yourself previously. So you're gonna to have to learn to forgive yourself and you're gonna to have to learn to let these things go. And you know that you've decided to make a change, but you have to transition from this decision to change from this idea into actual action that you're gonna take. Now there's a lot of action that you can take, but the most important thing is that you just start. And the best way to do that is to take small consistent actions that you can maintain over a long period of time as you develop your capacity for good and as you develop your capacity to handle the trials that come with the greater and greater deeds that you do. Because doing the right thing comes with drama and the greater the deed, the greater the peril. We spoke briefly before about why would you do good deeds in the first place? Like what's the point? And as I said, good people do good deeds. It's in the definition. So if you wanna be good, you've gotta do good, but that brings up the question of what exactly is a good deed? Now this might seem like a really simple question, but society is racked with all sorts of problems because people can't agree on what a good deed is. Everybody wants to make up their own definition of what words mean. Everyone wants to create their own code of conduct and the result is absolute chaos, just look around you. But at the very basis of it, you've got three categories of good deeds. You've got good deeds that you do for reciprocal action. I do you a favor, you do me a favor. I do action X because I'm hoping in return you or somebody else is gonna do action Y. Then you have deeds people do so that they can be perceived in a certain way. This person's really intelligent, they're really attractive, they're really sexy, they're very generous, they're very righteous. Every action that they do is because they want others to look at them in a certain light. And lastly, you have deeds that are done purely for God's sake. 
without any expectation for thanks, reward, or perception from any living being. Only spiritual credit with the creator and the opportunity to refine your character, which is the only true purpose for a good deed. Which brings me to the main point, which is that you've committed to take action, but you have to commit to living a God-centered life. You have to commit to being a man of God. Now that statement in and of itself will scare most people off, which is a topic for another time, but what has people so repulsed? What exactly are you scared about? Which people will scoff at because they don't want to admit to being scared of that. Well, nothing makes people more uncomfortable and defensive than talking about God. In part due to their misconception of what does God even mean? Or what does it mean to live a God-centered life? Followed by their fear of accountability. So what does it mean to live a God-centered life? Or to be a man of God? Unfortunately, in our society, we oftentimes attach imagery to concepts. And those images, specifically with regards to spirituality, oftentimes come with predefined perceptions which are often wildly wrong. Most of the time when we think about living a God-centered life or being a man of God, we automatically start to think about a priest or a monk or a nun or someone who sits in a temple and devotes their day to reading scripture and long nights of prayer. When the reality is that living a God-centered life is being in the remembrance of God throughout your day, which affects every aspect of every action that you do and do not do throughout the day. It's being conscious of God in every aspect of what you say, what you listen to, what you do, the environments you place yourself in or avoid, and how you react to every situation. You're essentially committing to striving to adhere to a code of conduct which is predetermined by a higher power telling you what is right and what is wrong. Now this is hard for most people for two reasons. First and foremost, because they wanna make it up as they go along. They wanna be the ultimate decider of what is right and wrong and this is because it allows them to absolve themselves of any guilt when they fail to adhere to a standardized code of conduct. Plain and simple, the result of which is that their whims and desires becomes their religion, the God of which is themselves. The second reason is because of this misconception that in order to walk the path of a God-centered life, you're not allowed to stray. This goes back to the fallacy that living a God-centered life is only for the perfect. This is because people most oftentimes confuse the ideal with the goal, the ideal being that you are in the remembrance of God in every action that you do, no matter how large or small. That can feel extremely overwhelming, especially when paired with the misconception that you have to be perfect in your adherence to the path, which leaves many people with the feeling that they would rather give up than continue to try and fail. When the goal isn't to be perfect along the path, but to continue to strive along that path for as long as you're here. Living a God-centered life means that you are considering how God views every single one of your actions. How does God view your speech? How does God view what you're looking at? How does God view what you're listening to? How does God view where I am right now? How does he view how I spend my money? How does he view how I treat other people? How does he view how I treat myself? And that's before we even talk about how does he view our relationship with him? Now, this can feel extremely overwhelming for people because as you start to critically think about every one of your actions and break them down into smaller and smaller actions, it seems like a rabbit hole that has no end to it, which is absolutely correct because there isn't, but this is where people get it wrong. Just as we stated previously, that it's gonna take time for you to increase your capacity for good, and that it's gonna take time for you to be able to handle doing greater and greater deeds, it's going to take time for you to build up your capacity to walk a God-centered path.
because there is no end to how deep you can go. There is no rush to get there because you're walking your own path, you're running your own race. So you have to work with where you're at. There are going to be an infinite amount of situations that are going to present themselves that you're going to have to figure out how to navigate. Each of which presenting themselves with an opportunity for you to try to navigate those situations while adhering to your code of conduct and refining your character through the process. All with the purpose of seeking the pleasure of God from why am I giving the guy in the corner a dollar to why am I speaking to why am I trying to improve myself to how do I handle these difficult situations that arise in my life that try to take me from the path all the way to why am I praying and who am I praying to. And the most important aspect of this is going to be your intention. Why are you doing the things that you're doing? Because if you're going to do good deeds, you want them to actually be good deeds. You want them to be done for altruistic reasons, seeking the pleasure of God. Meaning that you're reminding yourself before you take any action or refrain from any action that you are doing so seeking the pleasure of God. Now, this is a simple concept that the vast majority of people miss, many of which don't even attempt to conduct, never mind master. This is because it takes an enormous amount of effort to focus on anything for an extended period of time, never mind trying to focus on seeking the pleasure of God in every action that you take throughout your day. But the benefit of this is that the more you are in a conscious state of thinking about seeking the pleasure of God, the more that you're going to be thinking about doing good deeds and avoiding evil, and the more that you're thinking about doing good deeds and avoiding evil, the more likely you're going to be to continue to do good deeds and avoid evil. And let's face it, the main reason why you're at where you're at and the reason why you feel the way you feel is because you've conducted yourself in a way that you don't feel you're proud of. Again, you have two choices. Do you want to be good or do you want to be bad? At the end of the day, good people do good deeds. If you want to be evil, you can go down that route, but you've done bad and how did that work out? Now you might come back and say, but I've also tried good and look at where I'm at. But the problem is you're referring to it as I've tried as if it was a one-off event that once you've completed it, you've either succeeded or failed. When the reality is you gave up. That was the failure, not the failure in and of itself, but the fact that you decided at some point in time to stop trying. You have to remember it is a constant process with no end. The goal is not a destination. The goal is a commitment to walking the path. Too many people think that they have a blank canvas and the second they've messed it up, the artwork is over. Scars build character, they build experience, and that experience should come with wisdom. And that wisdom would definitely be beneficial to those who inevitably are going to walk in the path behind you. But they won't benefit from somebody who's wallowing in their own self-pity. Rather, they'll benefit from somebody who's walked the path, faltered time and again, but picked themselves up, continued to walk the path, and carried with them those scars and the wisdom that they learned from those experiences and shares the wisdom from those lessons so that others may succeed or recover where they failed. Living a God-centered life has so many benefits, first of which is that it feels good to be good. Yes, it comes with trials, but the remorse for the fact that you did it right or that you at least tried is not one of them. Having a code of conduct that you follow is like having a map in the wilderness with all sorts of paths leading towards destruction that you can avoid because you know the proper path to follow. Being in the remembrance of God forces you to think about your shortcomings and how to fix them. It forces you to think about how to do the right thing in every situation, which is going to inevitably cause you to do more good 
than you do bad, which will lead you to start feeling better about yourself, which will encourage you to continue to do more good, which will then help you to continue to feel better about yourself and improve your situation. Living a God-centered life helps you realize that all of the trials that you are facing in life is not some sort of punishment because the universe is conspiring against you, but rather are opportunities that God has placed in your life in order for you to have the ability to show and to work on your true character. Living a God-centered life means that you continue to strive to be the person you want to become, the person that you were meant to be, instead of the person you resign yourself to once you've given up. It comes with a sense of strength and purpose and an immense amount of reward. Living a God-centered life means that you recognize that perfection is unattainable and that mistakes and transgressions are a part of the journey and that success is not a destination but a commitment to walking the path. And that no matter how dark it gets, no matter how far you've strayed, that you are never at any point too far beyond your ability to come back to the path. You are never beyond hope, you are never beyond forgiveness, and you are never unwelcome. Now, one of the greatest parts about living a God-centered life is that the world can turn against you. You can lose your friends, you can lose your family, you can lose your community, but as long as your connection with God, your remembrance of God in your daily life remains strong, you will never again be alone. You may walk your path alone. You may physically be alone without friends or love or affection or companionship, but you will always be with God and he will always be with you. And the greatest aspect of this is that unlike every other relationship you have ever had, where you may have put in an enormous amount of time, effort, sweat, blood, tears, only to find that it's never reciprocated and more often than not, you've been left feeling betrayed. This is the one relationship that you are guaranteed the more that you put in, the more that you will get out and tenfold. So you have to commit to living a God-centered life. If you want to be good, you have to do good. And if you want to do good, you have to make sure that your actions are done for the right reason. And when you build that relationship with God, and when you develop that ability to be conscious of God in all of your actions, and you then develop your relationship with God, you have to truly understand that you will never be alone on this journey. Not if you don't want to be. So you could walk this path alone, or you could walk the path in the remembrance of God and keep in your company the greatest companion you could ever wish for.